my son was just laughing at me for whenever I try and recite the Apostles' Creed without looking at it. I'm always going to the Nicene Creed. Creed. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love. We thank you for your word, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing soul and spirit. And it pierces our hearts now as we come before it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, we've come to the end of our study on, on Paul's letter to the Colossians, and we see that it ends in the traditional way um, of offering personal greetings and instructions and encouragements, and with Paul signing his name with his own hand at the end, approving all that's contained within it. And these final greetings might seem like insignificant sections of Paul's letter, easy for us to skip over. Um, but I would encourage you to always take time to reflect on these words. Colossians is particularly interesting because it mentions uh, people like Onesimus. So Philemon's runaway slave um, whom Paul converted and, if legend is to believe, went on to become the bishop of Ephesus. It mentions Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, uh, whom many believe went on to write the gospel of Mark. It mentions Luke, who went on to write the Gospel of Luke and Acts. So these names aren't insignificant in the history of Christianity. It speaks also of the circular nature of Paul's letter and the authority that they had in churches already at that time. It also gives us a window into the life of these early uh, church communities as well. A community that was, this community particularly was hosted by Nympha. The church met in her house, verse 15 says. So women played a significant role in the life of the church. It was a community of slaves and free men and women, Jews and Greeks. You see all this throughout just these last few verses. So it was the type of community that Paul spoke of in Colossians 3.11 when he said, there is not Jew and Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This community was the living embodiment of that reality. The church has always been or is always meant to be a group of diverse people coming together in the name of Jesus, something I think is very important for us to be mindful of these days. And beyond all those wonderful details, um, it's good just to read these names. Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Barnabas, Justus, Epaphras, Luke, Demas, Nympha, Archippus, Paul. It's good not just to practice pronunciation or something like that, but it's good because um, it reminds us that Paul's writing to real people. The gospel is nothing if it is not personal. Personally transforming lives of real people, not just theological ideas and abstract concepts. This cosmic vision of Jesus that we get at the beginning of Colossians, this incredible poem that gives us this amazing picture of Jesus is not just a concept. It's not just an abstract idea. It is a living reality that transforms real people's lives. Onesimus, Tychicus, Epaphras, Peter, Jeannie, Eric, Ruth, Noemi, Kingsley, Cherie, Maya, Luca, Melanie, Jane, Juliet, Oscar, Jana, Seb, Nicola, Mariev. Each and every one of us. The gospel is nothing if it is not personal. And we read these names as a way to remind ourselves 
of this, the fact that this glorious vision that Paul paints for us in Colossians is meant to transform our lives as individuals. It's not just an idea, it's not just a concept, but it's meant to transform each one of our lives as individuals called by name to follow Jesus Christ. That's my plug for always reading uh, these final greetings at the end of these letters. Now, if we come back to Jeannie's wonderful sermon from last week, um, she asked us a really helpful question. What if it were true? What if it were true that Jesus really did open up the country of God's salvation to us? What if it were true that Jesus really is the image of the invisible God, that when we see Jesus, we see God? What if it were really true that Jesus is holding all things together, even now? What if it were true that Jesus has made peace between us by the blood of his cross? What if it were true that we really do stand before God, holy and blameless and above reproach because of the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ? What if it were really true that Jesus did disarm the rulers and authorities, the powers and principalities, and put them to open shame? What if it were true that your life really is hidden with Christ in God? What if that were true? Jeannie was inviting us to reflect upon the implications of these incredible words in Colossians and to recognize that if they are indeed true, then that changes everything. It changes the way that we see and understand ourselves. It changes the way that we see and understand God. It changes the way that we see and understand and interact with one another. If these things are really true, then it changes everything. I think Jeannie's sermon last week was an invitation to reflect on this glorious reality, to set our eyes upon Christ and the work that he has done and to be transformed. I just kept thinking about 2 Corinthians 3.18, where Paul says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In beholding the image of God revealed in Jesus Christ, as we face him, as we behold him, we are being transformed into that image and that likeness as well. That's the invitation I think Jeannie was laying before us last week. And it's the same invitation, I believe, that Paul puts before us in our passage today, which is why he starts the passage by saying, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. What is prayer? If it's not placing ourselves before the living God, seeking to have our faces unveiled, to see him as he truly is, and to be transformed from one degree of glory to another. Prayer is meditating and reflecting upon the glory of God in Jesus Christ and allowing that question to resonate in our hearts. What if it were true? Knowing that this glorious reality reveals the truth to us, it then shapes and transforms our lives. Prayer in this passage is multifaceted. It's missional, first of all. 
It's praying for the work of the gospel to go forth in the world because God's kingdom, as we've seen throughout this letter, is not limited to a select few. That's what the outsiders were trying to suggest, that it's limited only to their small group. No, Jesus is the Savior of all things, Colossians 1 kept saying over and over and over again. So we pray for the work of the gospel. Paul says, pray for us. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the, for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. So we're praying for the work of the gospel to go forth in the world. To bring freedom and salvation to all. Prayer is about encouraging and caring for our brothers and sisters as well. Colossians 4.12 says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling or wrestling. You can almost picture um, Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord there, always wrestling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. So prayer is about bringing others before the Lord, wrestling on their behalf that they may be encouraged, that they may be strengthened, that they may grow in maturity in Christ Jesus, our Lord, standing mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So we wrestle in prayer for our brothers and sisters. Prayer is also about being watchful. It's learning to have our eyes open to the truth and not being tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of false doctrine and ideology that comes our way. We hear this in Ephesians 4.14, where Paul says, this is Paul praying for, for maturity in us, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So prayer, being watchful in prayer is about being grounded in the truth, learning to be wise and aware and watchful of the lies that do surround us, being wise as serpents, as, as serpents innocent as doves, Jesus said. Part of what we're doing in prayer is learning that kind of wisdom, learning to, to be watchful of the, false, the falsehoods that are around us and knowing what is true, holding on to that which is true. But watchfulness is not only about learning what to avoid, it's also about learning to follow Jesus, being attentive to Jesus, watching him, learning from him, having our eyes opened to him, watching the ways that he speaks to people, watching the ways that he acts with people, watching the ways that he loves those around him, watching the ways that he exercises wisdom in the world. That's why scripture and especially Lectio Divina are such important um, roles. They play such an important role in prayer. We come before scripture and we see Jesus revealing the Father to us. And we want to be attentive and watchful of him and the ways that he interacts in the world. Watchfulness is learning to have our eyes open to Jesus, to watch him, to be attentive to him, to be aware of how he moves and acts in the world. Prayer is also an expression of thanksgiving. And Paul's just kept saying this over and over and over again throughout Colossians, encouraging the church to be thankful. In Colossians 1.3, he grounds his own prayers in thanksgiving. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. He then encourages them to ground their prayers in thanksgiving. In Colossians 1.12, he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to, the sh to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He grounds his prayer in thanksgiving, tells them to ground their prayer in thanksgiving. And he says that the, we are to walk in Christ abounding in thanksgiving. It's actually to be uh, the way of life for us, the primary characteristic of our life in Christ in Colossians 2.17, abounding in thanksgiving. 
And he rounds this out beautifully in Colossians 3, uh, verses 15 to 17, where he just keeps repeating that thankfulness is to be the mark of the Christian life. He says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thanksgiving is the primary mark of the Christian life in Colossians. Now, it's important to remember, remember that as we hear those words, remember, Paul is writing this from a jail cell. He's not sitting comfortably in some villa somewhere. He is writing these words from a jail cell. Yet he is still saying that thanksgiving is the primary marker of the Christian life. Why? Well, exactly what Jeannie was inviting us to contemplate last week. What if it were true? What if regardless of my present circumstances, I am holy and blameless and above reproach because of Jesus Christ? What if regardless of what I might be going through at this present moment, my life is already hidden with Christ and God? What if regardless of the pain that I might be experiencing right now, Jesus has already made peace for me by the blood of his cross? What if it were true? Well, if it is true, then I think that the natural response as we catch a vision of this, is to abound in thanksgiving, exactly what Paul says. That no matter what circumstances or situations we find ourselves in, no matter how crazy the world might feel around us, that we can abound in thanksgiving because we know that which is ultimately true. We know Jesus, who is superintending history and bringing it towards his desired end, Therefore, we are always safe. My life is already hidden in the kingdom of God. We are always safe in the kingdom of God. And so even in jail cells, even in hospital rooms, even in lockdowns, we can abound in thanksgiving because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. And if all this is true, as Jeannie said last week, then it changes the way that we see and act with one another. It changes the way that we see and act, that we interact with as husbands and wives. It changes the way that we interact as parents and children. It changes the way that we interact as uh, servants and masters. No part of our lives are exempt from the grace of God revealed in Jesus. Therefore, this changes everything. And Paul says, this not only changes the way that we interact with one another within the household of God, it also changes the way that we act with outsiders as well. Because we are so secure in God's love, which has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ, because his grace is transforming every nook and cranny of our lives, because we know that he created all things, that all things were created through him and for him, and in him all things hold together, because we know that our lives are hidden with Christ in God, because we know all this, then we can walk freely with those around us. We can walk in wisdom and grace and, and love towards those around us. They are not a threat to us. Instead, they are an, an opportunity for God's abundant grace to be experienced by others through us because of the work of God in us.
And so my words, which the Bible says are so important, my words are not words of critique or shame or harm to the world around me. Instead, our words are to be salt in the lives of other people. Salt adds flavor to things. So our words are to add joy and love and laughter to the people around us. Salt is a preserving agent. So our words are to be encouraging and life-giving and to build others up, not tear them down. And finally, salt can also be a destructive agent as well, used to prevent growth. Think about they would use in the ancient world to destroy fields, to put salt out on the field so nothing could grow there. For us, we want to destroy the lies of the enemy. It tells people that they're worthless or useless or purposeless or that they are no good, that they're, that they're to live in shame. Those are lies. They're weeds that destroy the life of people whom Jesus loves and died for. And so our words are to be salt on those weeds, destroying the lies of the enemy. If everything that Colossians says is true, then that invites us to respond in prayer, prayer for God's mission of grace and love and freedom in the world, praying for our brothers and sisters to be built up and strengthened in the truth, their lives to be undergirded and to feel firm and strong in Jesus, not to feel fragile. Praying with watchful attentiveness to the lies of the enemy and to the truth of God revealed in Jesus Christ, watching him, learning from him, being attentive to him, being transformed by him as our eyes are open to Jesus. And praying with thanksgiving for the person and work of God revealed in Jesus Christ and allowing that thanksgiving to be the defining mark of our lives. That in any and all circumstances, we can give thanks. And if all this is true, then it also invites us to walk in wisdom and love and grace towards every single person that we meet. And to use our words to build others up and to destroy the lies of the enemy. So what else would you add to the list? What else does it mean for you to live in the light of the truth of God revealed in Jesus Christ? If everything that Colossians says is true about God, then how is God calling you to respond? That's the invitation I think we're left with at the end of this letter. If all of this is true, what does that mean for you?